Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today our guest is Brian Burke. Thanks for being on the show again, Brian. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, I'm always honored to have Brian on. As most of you know, he's been on the show numerous times now, and we've talked about different topics. And there's a few more topics we really want to uh, dive into with Brian, just from his experience. Well over 2,000 doors. He's acquired over 700 properties. He's extremely experienced, and and we're happy to have you on, Brian. You know, Maybe give us just a couple-minute update of a couple projects you're working on now, and then let's dive into our topic today. Well, let's see. We just closed on 539 units here in the last couple of months. So that Another was a small good deal. start to the year. Yeah, a little small deal. That, that gave us a good start to the year. We're trying to march toward a thousand units this year. We'll see if that happens, if the market's good to us or not. We won't force it if it's not, but we've got another 176 units in contract. So, you know, we're still cooking. We'll find some more stuff to ruffle up here soon. Nice. Nice. Now, that's awesome to hear. 539 units. That's a project there. Wow. It's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're well on your way. It was two properties next door to each other. We're going to run as one. So it's going to be a big oil tanker. That's a big property. Nice. Obviously, you know, we're going to talk about sourcing deals and how you've done that, how it's evolved over your career and things like that and dive in. But you know, maybe get us started how you found those deals and then dive into the details. Yeah, this one was interesting. You know, Our hit rate on marketed deals is about as close to zero as you can get. But this one that actually worked out, it was interesting because two different brokers listed two adjoining properties for sale from two different sellers at roughly the same time. And it just so happened, we managed to get both of them. And, and I think in part, it was because we leveraged one off the other and said, you know, hey, you know, we're going to be more motivated to close than any other buyer because we're also trying to buy the deal next door. And when we get the deal next door, then we could go to the other one and say, we're going to be more motivated to close than any other buyer because we have the other one next door in contract. And so that really helped us get the second one. And it wasn't the easiest battle because of course, into the multiple final rounds and, and all that sort of stuff. And we weren't originally picked, but, and we weren't the highest offer. And so we had to you know, really do some convincing that we were going to be the right ones to actually get the thing done. So a lot of work, uh, a lot of back and forth with, with the brokers and sellers, but we managed to get there. Wow. So sourcing those deals, you know, obviously you had relationships with these brokers, right? But you said your own market, the properties that you see that are own market that you're purchasing are is like zero. Yeah. Our hit rate on marketed deals is is very near zero. There's a, there's a lot of competition out there for uh, acquiring multifamily assets, as you well know, and everybody that's listened to this show, I'm sure knows that it's a competitive landscape out there. And really the one thing that gives any buyer a leg up in sourcing deals is a track record with the broker. And fortunately, we had track records with both of these brokers. They both knew us. We closed with one of them before with another one we hadn't closed with yet, but course they knew that we owned over a thousand units in the market and you know and that sort of stuff so that went a long way but normally if most of the stuff we buy is off market but every once in a while 
we get lucky on a marketed deal. And it's not for lack of trying. I mean, we're underwriting every marketed deal in the markets that we're active in. It's just, we don't usually get them. Okay. So I've heard different people talk about, you know, an off-market deal and and what's a real off-market deal, you know, and could you elaborate, you know, just like, you know, broker sends a deal, he says it's off-market, but is it really off-market? You know, could you just tell us, walk through that a little bit? I define off-market deals and they residing in one of three different buckets. There's the off-market deal, which is one where someone wants to sell and they call every broker they know telling them they want to sell and asking for their opinion of the property's value. All the brokers render those opinions and then immediately call every buyer on their list trying to round up a buyer so that they can get a leg up on getting the listing by telling the seller, I've got two buyers that really want it. So give me the listing or I'll get you the offer beforehand or they're trying to get in before the other broker gets the listing, right? That's off-market deal number one. There's not much difference between that and a marketed deal because everybody knows about it. There's probably been you know, 30 people on that deal uh, just as if they were to put it on the market. So that's category number one. Category number two off-market deal is the one where you've got the seller that just is completely overpriced Every broker is way too embarrassed to take it out to market at the seller's price because they know nobody's going to want to buy it at that price. So they call up their most inexperienced buyers, the ones that have been uh, hounding them and annoying them the most to buy something that no one will sell to. And they'll see if one of those will bite at this quote unquote, you know, off market great deal. And basically they're just looking for a sucker. That's off market deal bucket number two. And in my opinion, it's probably the most common quote unquote off market deal. And it's certainly the most common one that you'll hear about from anyone that hasn't done a lot of volume. And then the third bucket of off market deal is the one where the seller says to a broker, Hey, you know, you sold me this deal. I want you to sell it for me. I really don't want to spook my employees and have this thing sitting on the market having 20 tours you know, just get me an offer from your top buyer. And that broker will call one, two or three of their, you know, most reliable buyers and offer them the chance to buy it without it going on the market. Those are the kind of off market deals we're looking for. Okay. Now that's awesome. Yeah. We don't want to be in, in those first two categories, especially the second one, right? As a buyer. Right. No doubt about it. But, you know, as far as, you know, these deals that you said the seller, you know, he bought this deal from this broker and so he's going to use him again and he wants him to sell. It doesn't want to spook the employees. So it's just, you know, see if you can sell it for me or see what interest you can get. You know, how does that start? You know, obviously you're starting that relationship, right? And could you walk us through that a little bit and how that has happened for you or maybe even how that's changed over your career? So are you asking, how does that broker get that phone call? Or how do you as a buyer get that phone call from the broker? That's right. You as the buyer. Yeah. You as the buyer getting that phone call from the broker. What gets you to that point? Closing deals. That's the only thing that gets you there. That broker is not going to call you. And I repeat, that broker is not going to call you with that category three off-market deal unless they've sold you something before. Because what this seller is asking the broker to do, think about this for a minute from the other side of the table. What that seller is asking the broker to do is bring me an offer from a reliable buyer, someone that you can vouch for that's going to get this deal done and is going to close and not give me a lot of hassle. Well, the only way that broker is going to put that relationship with that buyer or that seller at risk 
on their word of who a good buyer is for that deal is if they know that buyer really well and have closed deals with them before and they know how they act in a transaction. They know their closers. They know they don't screw around. They know they don't retrade and nitpick over stupid little repair items. If you've been able to close with a broker and show them all those things, you can make it to that list. Another piece of it is, you know, what do you own in the market? You know, if it's your first or second deal in the market and they have a client that owns 2,000 units in the market, it's more likely they're going to call the guy with 2,000 units than the guy that has, you know, one property or, or perhaps no properties. So, close, you know, everybody always asks, how do you get deals? You get deals by closing deals. And now you have this ridiculous chicken and the egg scenario about how do you get deals to close deals or how so do you, you know, close you know deals, where I'm going. deals if you don't have deals? I know I've lived it. I know exactly where you're going. <laughs> so what do we do then? What's your suggestion? <laughs> Well, it's tricky and you know, it takes a lot of time. Here's a great example. Uh, I wanted to expand into a new market. This was a, a few years ago and I had closed a bunch of stuff in another market and you know, I wanted to get into this new market and you know, I was calling on deals that were on the market and I mean, you know, brokers wouldn't give me the time of day and it's like, you know, look, I own over a thousand units and it's like, I still couldn't get them to return my phone calls. Finally, uh, one of the brokers just random calls me on this deal that I had I've been calling this firm. I think I left like four messages for one of the brokers on this deal. And then randomly another broker on the deal calls me because, you know, usually there's like two or three guys on, or, you know, or on, on every brokers on every listing. One of the other ones calls me and, and I said, and he's like, yeah, you know, just trying to see if you're interested. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm interested enough that, you know, I left like three messages for so-and-so and he's like, oh, dang that guy, you know, <laughs> And he's like, uh, he's like, I checked you out. You know, I looked in our, in our company database and I found that you closed some deals over in this other city and talked to that broker and, you know, he had some good things to say about you. So I wanted to see, you know, what your level of interest was and literally getting the respect of this broker that didn't know me from Adam really came from him talking to somebody in another office in another city with the same brokerage. And that's what got him to take my call. So closing deals means you know, it doesn't even have to be in that same market. You can leverage properties you own in other markets. So if you, if you own somewhere else and you can get that broker to, you know, get in touch with the brokers in the market where you're looking to go, it can, it can at least help you. It puts one foot forward, but man, I mean, even if it means buying a property you, you otherwise wouldn't buy, like for example, you know, I wanted to get into Dallas and it was really tough. And this was, you know, I don't know, 10 or 12, 15 years ago. And I bought a 60 unit deal there, which, you know, nowadays I wouldn't touch 60 unit deal with a 10 foot pole, but I had to buy something just to own something in that market. Otherwise I would never have gotten anywhere. So if it means going and buying a duplex and saying like, Hey, I own a duplex in this market. I'm looking to you know, get to bigger properties, you know, at least you own something and, and you're not just some guy from halfway across the country that's never even been there, doesn't own anything there. So it's, it's baby steps and it's difficult and it takes time and it takes work and it's not just, oh, you know, hey, I'll buy you a cup of coffee kind of thing. It doesn't work that way. Interesting. That's what I hear though, too. It's like, you know, take them out to coffee, you know, get to know them, but you got to close deals, right? You got to yeah, see you that you're deals. you're serious anyway. I guess there's too many tire kickers, right? That they don't know if you're serious, like you say. Wait, too, I mean, brokers aren't thirsty. They don't need a cup of coffee. They want to close deals. You know, it's like 
that's what they want to do. And that's the only way you're going to get their attention, you know, is to, is to show them how you act in a transaction, which is difficult as we just, you know, talked about because there is a chicken in the egg scenario and it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? That's right. That's right. And so what about, you know, are all deals that you're doing through a broker or are you also finding directly from a seller or are there other ways? Man, uh, 99% come through brokers. Jeez, it, it might be one thing to find an unsophisticated single family landlord that wants to sell their house and responds to your yellow letter or postcard or what have you. You know, you can send out 10,000 of those letters and get one or two guys to respond to you. But when you're looking at 100, 200, 300, 500 unit apartment complexes, these owners are sophisticated. They've been through the drill. It's a good chance they've been through all the trials and tribulations that you're going through to become a buyer to begin with. And, you know, they're not just going to respond to your yellow letter or postcard. What they do is they talk to brokers because they're buyers, they're sellers. You know, they get calls from brokers all the time going, oh, hey, what are you going to do with Marvin Gardens? Thinking of putting it on the market anytime soon? You know, and then they say something like, oh, you know, I just refinanced it. We got a year or two years left on our loan. Then we're going to put it on the market. What do you think is happening? In the background, the broker's typing that into their computer, you know, loan due in two years. So he's going to call that guy up when he's got 10 months left on his loan and say, you know, hey, you know, so the brokers know who's poised to sell. And they know the phone number and the email address of all the owners, and they've got a great network, and anybody else doesn't have that. Nice. How many brokers at one time are you communicating with or you know staying top of mind with? Or everyone. Every everyone. one of them. <laughs> every broker in every market, we we will be talking to them on a regular basis. And usually it's because we're talking about deals. I mean, you know, look, we're in Georgia, Florida, Carolinas, Arizona. You know, there's deals coming out of there all the time, right? By these brokerage shops. We're dealing with brokers that are, you know, there's any given market is going to have, you know, a, a core group of, of brokers that sell 90% of the product out of that market. Uh, they're always, they always have something out there and they're saying, uh, you know, we're always just calling them up and Hey, what's going on with this or that? And we're talking to them all the time. Here's a funny story. I'll give you a good one. I called one of our brokers the other day and I said, I'm only reason I'm calling you is to, is to make you money. And of course he immediately responds with, okay, you have my attention, right? We've got this property. I say, you know, we're going to want to sell it uh, probably within the next year. I said, but right now it's the only asset we own in that market. I said, I cannot sell it and exit my physical presence in this market. I said, so if you want to sell this deal for me, you have to bring me two off-market deals that I can buy and then you can sell this and you'll make three commissions. Two days later, he calls me up and he goes, I've got two off-market deals for you. (laughs) Wow. I love that. So that's, that's how it works. Wow. So are these two that you're going to be able to pursue, you think, or or you are pursuing? We are pursuing them and we will be putting offers on them. Whether or not we get them, I don't know. We'll see. But it's it's promising. It's promising. I love that take on it. The only reason I'm calling you is to make you money and to sell this property. You need to bring me another one. So he's, he's thinking dollar signs, right? Yeah. I mean, these, uh, these two deals, if we get them, it's over a hundred million dollars. So that's a big commission. Yeah. Yeah. Plus selling. Yeah. Awesome. So, 
you know, so you're, you're connecting with as many as possible. Uh, tell me like that routine. Is it like a, a weekly thing? Is it every other week? Is this just something you keep in your CRM? So, you know, Hey, we need to call John in Georgia. You know, we hadn't talked to him in two weeks or how do you track that? No, we don't track it. And, and we aren't calling them just to say hello. You know, we're calling them because we're talking about a deal. We're going to call them on one of their listings. We're going to call and see how the offers are going. We're going to call and, you know, find out what the call for offer date is. You know, there's probably two or three different variety of touch points, you know, during a listing cycle and brokers always have something that's out. So there's always a deal to talk about. We're going to call and get more information. We're going to talk about the rental comps. Uh, we're going to schedule a tour. We're going to see them in person when we go out there and tour. We might spend the whole day with them. Uh, geez, I think what was a week before last, my chief investment officer looked at like, I think is 12 subject properties in two, three states, you know, with uh, probably six different brokers spending a half a day to a full day with each of them. So it's just constant touch points. Wow. And are you doing anything extra or out of the ordinary for, for brokers, like specific brokers or personally for them or I mean, whatever it may be? Like buying them baseball game tickets and stuff like go. that. No, we probably should, but we don't. And instead what we do is, you know, we buy real estate, which gets them commissions and we don't give them a bunch of hassle when we're in the escrow process. You know, I, I tell brokers, this is what I do special for brokers. I say, look, when I write you this offer and you call, you're going to call me and tell me the offer is accepted. The next time you hear from me is going to be when I say we're closing tomorrow. So in between those two times, I'm not going to be hounding you for all kinds of stupid stuff. You know, if the, if the lender needs something, sure, I'm going to have to ask for it and get it, but we're going to have all of our stuff lined up. We're, we're not going to be, you know, pain in the ass. We're just going to get this deal done and leave you alone. And brokers appreciate that because they have a lot to do. So that's the one special thing we do, I guess, is, is try to make their job easy. We probably should buy them baseball game tickets while we're at it, I guess. So any other best practices that maybe you see other people doing that are, you know, or anything there other people are doing that you're like, well, wait a minute, that's why are you all doing that? That broker's never going to sell you all the property other than not having a, have closed a deal yet or, or just causing them a lot of trouble. Anything extraordinary that you're doing, I don't know, or you've seen other people do? I'm not keeping track really of what other people are doing. I'm running my own race and, you know, kind of everybody else is doing whatever it is that they do. I just know that brokers are busy and they get a lot of people kicking a lot of tires that go nowhere. And so if there's anything on that kind of don't do this list, it's, you know, don't be a tire kicker. You know, and another thing don't do is don't just write an offer on every deal. You know, if the deal's not your deal, you know, don't write an offer on it, you know, and you see this so often, you know, where, you know, guys will, they'll write a ridiculously low offer because they can't even get close thinking that they're going to convince the broker that, you know, it's not worth what they're asking when it, everybody else is probably writing offers right near their whisper price. Don't be that guy. And don't feel like you have to write an offer on every single deal, even though you know you either can't perform, won't perform, or don't really want it or whatever the case may be. Are there any other ways that you source deals that we haven't talked about that aren't off market or uh, what are some other ways that maybe properties, you know, you've purchased properties that, that wasn't through a broker? We started a campaign not too long ago, try to go straight to owners by, you know, running a list of every suitable property in an MSA that we were interested in, narrowing that list down. 
trying to, you know, skip trace the owner to figure out who the decision maker is, reaching out to them and contacting them. We're doing a little bit of that right now. It hasn't produced any fruit yet, uh, but if it does, that's great. Another thing, you know, we've had kind of two other avenues. You know, one is where we've closed on a deal with a group through a broker. And then after the deal closes, they reach out to us and say, you know, hey, you know, we're next quarter, we're going to sell this other deal. You know, would you guys be interested in taking a look at that? So that's been an, an avenue for us. And we've, of course, say yes. Having said that, we haven't closed on anything because, you know, they either wanted too much or whatever, hasn't, hasn't produced any fruit yet. But that's a great way to go if, if you connect on one. And then another way is, is we know some institutional sellers and uh, some larger groups. And, you know, even some of my guys have worked for larger institutional owners so we also, you know, reach out to guys we know that own 10 or 20, 30,000 units and we'll talk to them about what they're always selling something, you know, so what, what are your dispositions for next quarter? Can we get an advanced look at them? And, you know, we've had some success in, in getting that as well. Again, we haven't closed anything through that channel yet, but I think it's just a matter of time. So you're finding p- owners that have 10,000 units or more, and then you're just connecting with them and asking about their dispositions for next quarter, trying to really build that relationship with them, I guess, so they know you're also a serious buyer, just like the broker. Well, not quite. We're only doing that with groups that we actually have a relationship with. You know, there's, you know, there's, there might be a guy there that we know through some other means or, you know, a couple of my guys, I mean, they work for large institutional groups. And so, you know, of course, you know, it's a small world and people know each other and, you know, maybe, they, you know, there was one, I remember one we looked at and you go, my CFO goes, I trained this guy when he was, you know. So, I mean, it's that kind of a relationship, you know, where you know, they've known each other for 20 years and he can call them up and say, you know, hey, man, you know, what are you guys disposing of next quarter? And, and they'll tell them. No unknown guy can just call up an institutional seller and go, oh, I'm just calling for your disposition list. Nobody's going to respond to that. But, you know, if you know someone, you might get it. So it sounds like whether we're getting started or whether we have almost you know 3000 units like yourself or more brokers are best way to focus our energy at the at the moment anyway until we get to a bigger level at least but it seems like i mean we should be focusing on brokers you said what 99% of deals are coming through them yeah and even when you get big 99% of your deals will still come through brokers one way or another i mean it doesn't mean they're going to be listed and marketed but they're still going to come through brokers you know brokers are matchmakers you know and you know, whether you're, you know, if, if you're out, if you're single and mingling and you go to the bar, you hope you have a wingman or something that helps make some introductions, if that's what you need. I mean, it, the whole world kind of works that way, no matter what, you know, you go to want to buy a car, there's a car salesman. I mean, you know, there's, there's always something, someone that's in the, in the middle of the transaction and, and that's how the business is done. It's no different here. Are there any ways that stand out that, that you've improved this process uh, either recently or maybe ways, you know, after you were like years in that, okay, you know, some, a light bulb went off that, okay, this, this worked a lot better if we do it this way. The light bulb for me was recognizing and being real with the fact of how important closing deals is. Because when I hadn't closed any deals, of course, I want to think or I want to convince myself that that's irrelevant. And I can demonstrate to brokers that I'm a reliable purchaser and that I've got all these investors or these resources or whatever. And none of that means anything uh, because this is a entirely relationship-driven business. It's funny, I remember when we were really early on 
in this, a partner of mine was career single family guy, you know, home builder, always done single family. And, you know, in single family space, everything's done on MLS, right? You list a house in the MLS, buyer comes along, sees the, their broker, whatever, sees the MLS listing, you submit an offer. If you're the best offer, it gets accepted. The only thing that matters is the quality of your offer. But the multifamily world is so different. I remember one time he came to me and he goes, why is there no MLS for multifamily? How are we supposed to find all these deals if there's no MLS for us to go to to know what's for sale? And I didn't have a great answer. You know, I was just like, well, I don't know it's how stuff is done. It's bigger, large multifamily. Maybe it's a smaller world. I don't really know. But now, I, you know, after doing this for 30 years, I know what the answer is. The, the answer is that this is 100% relationship business. That's why stuff isn't on an MLS because brokers don't want to just sell to anybody that submits an offer. They want to submit it to someone they know and rely can rely upon and isn't going to be a pain. And the only way that they get that is with a relationship of some form. So I really underestimated the importance of relationships early on and wanted to refuse to accept it. So what have I refined? I've refined that that's not true. <laughs> the relationships are everything. That is the difference between a hundred million or, or even twenty million dollar deal versus a two hundred thousand dollar home. You know that type of realtor or broker, their thought process is going to be very different when you're talking about this size of an opportunity. Not even similar, night and day. Right. Yep. Well, Brian, we're about out of time, but anything else you'd like to add about sourcing deals before we go? I think we've pretty well covered it, but I would just say don't give up. It takes a lot of time if you're newer in this business. It will take a lot of time to get quality deal flow. And usually when the quality deal flow starts to roll in, is right after you gave up. And so don't check out too soon because you you might be inches away from exactly where you're trying to head. Great advice. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you. Best way is through our company website, praxcap.com. It's P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com or through biggerpockets.com. I participate on their forums very often. So especially like in the multifamily forum and anything related to multifamily, I usually see it. So that's a a great way to, to interact. Wow. Once again, Brian, you've been a great guest. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.